3: And enter code no girls at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com/slash no girls, code no girls. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control. Enter Conair GirlBomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate girl bomb grip and professional grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girl Bomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girl Bomb. Available at ConairGirlBomb.com or a retailer near you.
4: She definitely committed so many offenses that, that harmed real life people. So I think to flatten something like that into this like very frivolous, like fun, glossy. Slog of a TV show. Full stop, I don't
0: know. Dot dot dot. There are no girls on the internet is a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is There Are No Girls on the Internet. We spend a lot of time on this show talking about lies and the internet. And I have to say that part of the reason why I personally work on disinformation issues is because of my intense fascination in things that are not true. How do lies function? Why do we believe them? Who profits off of them? And how do they shape our world? So in 2018, when the story first broke about the fake German heiress, Anna Delvey, I was, of course, fascinated. Anna, real name Anna Sorokin, had been scamming investors, hotels, even her own friends, in pursuit of opening an art foundation and private club called the Anna Delvey Foundation. The club, like the millions of dollars of family money that Anna said that she was supposedly worth, never materialized. Anna's former friend, Rachel Deloach Williams, first introduced the world to Anna after she wrote about their disastrous trip to Marrakesh. Anna initially agreed to pay for the trip, but never managed to put down a working credit card at the pricey villa where they were staying. When hotel staff insisted that somebody put down a functioning credit card, Rachel was pressured into putting the cost of the entire trip, $62,000, more than a year of her salary, on her work and personal credit cards. Now, Anna assured her that she would wire her the money to pay her back, but she never did. In the end, Rachel helped lead police to Anna's whereabouts, which led to Anna's arrest and conviction for one count of attempted grand larceny three counts of grand larceny and four counts of theft of services related to her various scams. But she was found not guilty of the $62,000 Rachel was out for the trip. Last month, Netflix released Inventing Anna, a fictionalized, very sympathetic retelling of her con based on the reporting of Jessica Pressler at New York Magazine. Anna's crimes were so flashy and outlandish, it was hard not to pay attention. And that, Rachel says, is kind of part of the scam. In her book, My Friend Anna, Rachel writes, I have come to understand that your attention is an investment. Giving someone your attention is the act of being influenced, whether or not you're aware of it in the moment. And especially in this age of constant simulation with endless people and stories competing for your clicks, likes, follows, and time, your attention has value, it has power, It's worth something. It can even put money in someone's pocket. Be careful where you spend it and understand the cost. I spoke to Rachel about why our current digital media landscape is presenting a golden age for scammers and what that means for all of us. And just one quick note, we were recording on a noisy day in Brooklyn, so the audio quality might not be what you're used to from this podcast. Why do you think this is? Why do you think we're in this era where people cannot get enough of people who lie and scam and steal and cheat others?
4: Yeah, uh, it's a good question. And I've certainly asked myself the same one. But I think I have a kind of unique vantage point in that I lived through like a con firsthand. And I know that's sort of how it works. It's sort of this larger than life flashy illusion, like a magic trick that is meant to grab your attention. So that while you're busy sort of puzzling over it, you know whatever sort of business is going on behind the scenes can can happen without too much focus or, or uh, analysis, I suppose. So it, I think it, um, there's a fascination with with you know tricksters and with like it, it is in many ways like like watching a magician at work, and so that people wanna wanna watch as like a voyeur to understand where the sleight of hand occurred, how someone fell for it, and. And, and, you know, especially in this age where it is kind of hard with with the internet and with all of these different media forms coming at us to discern between fact and fiction, to get to watch something in an arena that seems pretty low stakes because it's billed as entertainment, uh, I think people enjoy, maybe like they don't think about it that hard, but they enjoy getting to see something that that straddles that divide on purpose.
0: In talking about, the Netflix show Inventing Anna, you talk, you write really compellingly about this, that one of the reasons why the show is kind of dangerous is that it does sort of aim to straddle that line. Each episode starts with, this is a completely true story, except for the things that are fictionalized. And I think as a viewer, you might not really know that you're acting, like, it, it can be used as a way to Heavily, deeply fictionalized, something that actually people actually experience, and I think that could the the, the purposeful straddling of that line of facts and fiction and kind of blending them can be a little bit dangerous because the stakes do feel low. It just feels like entertainment.
4: Exactly. I mean, you've said it in some ways better than I could say it myself, but that that's exactly right, and it's kind of uh, disheartening. I mean, I appreciate that, like you're speaking up about this too, and other people, you know, are certainly paying attention um now, but I think part of the reason I chose to continue talking about this, which, you know, the story, which is well and truly behind me, and I would love to like, move on from and not be discussing today. But the reason I'm speaking up is because I, I see something happening that sets a precedent that I do think is troubling and that I do think is dangerous. And I, and I do think it, it uh, requires viewers to ask questions probably more so than we can expect a media company who profits from it to do but the netflix show inventing anna does do this thing where it like sticks that label up as a as a disclaimer but it blends uh you know factual information with things that are completely made up as it says it does, but it it makes viewers go online, look things up, see that some things are true. And then that creates this like foundation of credibility that allows them to, to think, well, if this is true, I believe the narrative that they've woven with, you know, this big, big, budget production and all this like whistles and bells and like how compelling is that um you know storytelling is really powerful and i think that's why it requires a level of responsibility i think people are apt to believe things that they watch in stories or that they connect to in, in terms of a narrative more than sometimes dry facts that they hear on the
0: news yeah you know you describe this in your book um in talking about the way that um Anna's crimes have been glamorized, in part by places like Netflix, that you see it as a big picture problem. Is that sort of what you are referring to, like that that sort of the, the big picture problem that you're describing?
4: Yeah, that I think specifically, I, I have become very mindful of the ways that our attention can be commodified. So when Anna was released from prison the first time before she was detained by ICE, I was asked to do a bunch of media appearances commenting on her release and I declined because I was like, why, you know, why would I do that? I've already written the book, it's out, I've moved on. I have no interest in sort of coming out and speaking or hypothesizing about what somebody may or may not do after jail. Like she's did she did her time. Like all we can do is like hope that, you know, Godspeed, like I hope this doesn't happen again. But while I was declining things, I saw that she was being given various media platforms and That would be fine if she had something productive to say, but it felt as though these different outlets were just giving her space to rationalize her behavior, to continue peddling belief in this, you know, in fictional, in my mind, like uh, this fictional intention. You know, like I was really going to do it. I didn't mean to never pay someone back. Like all of these things that I believed for far too long, and that she's now getting to to sell to a broader audience. So. As I was watching that, what I realized is our attention to her, our attention to people like this, our attention to things is what gives them influence and power. Um, So when I say it's a big picture problem, I think what I'm really referring to is is the attention economy and the way that we think we're watching something just without stakes, but our viewership in itself is actually something that does have a monetary value and also a value in terms of. Our our own behavior, our beliefs, um, and and how how we move through the world.
0: You write about how Anna will be given these like very convivial interviews where it's cl- clearly the interviewer was like, "Wow, well, this Anna, De- this Anna Delvey! Like, yeah. can you can you get, can you believe it?" And they would have these buzzy headlines. And I guess part of me is like, who like how can you print the words of somebody who lies? If you're a journalist or a reporter, like somebody asked like, oh, are you going to try to talk to Anna for this interview? And I was like, why would I? Why would I want to talk to somebody who lies?
4: Yeah. I mean, I think there's a way to do it. There's actually a 60 Minutes Australia interview. I thought it was, I mean, it's of course still kind of sensationalized around the edges, but at least the viewer had a very firm, uh, like framing device in which, he you know it's it's the same way I think the most successful interviews with someone like donald Trump were conducted where you have a baseline foundation of truth fiction you know some some degree of commonly shared right wrong when it comes to like ethics or morality and you you actually try to hold someone to account that's interesting and and then I think it's actually like journalism um but I, I think what I do find puzzling or I understand it but I think i find it you know, problematic is is the way that so much of our media and our news sources today are driven by, not by quality, but traffic. So, so, so places are incentivized to come up with these clickbait headlines with these really sensationalized recaps of, you know, you know, events that in real life were, were interesting, but, you know, are so much more interesting if you embellish these details. And it was troubling for me because watching like even during the child the way people were reporting on what she was wearing or like you know oh she's so audacious can you believe like like yeah she is that's what you know that's what drew me into the friendship friendship too here's this person you can't quite figure out like she's she's wacky she's really confident she's doing these these things that kind of break your brain and make you sit there and stare and kind of ask questions but that's how it works like while we're doing that like no one's asking where's the money coming from like who's What are the, what's the impact of this person's behavior and why does it matter?
0: According to BBC News, which filed a Freedom of Information Act request, Netflix reportedly started paying Anna before she had ever even gone to trial. They paid $30,000, which went toward paying her lawyer. Then Netflix paid for the rights to adapt Anna's story into the show Inventing Anna. In total, Netflix reportedly paid Anna $320,000. Now, that money was initially frozen to give her victims a chance to sue. And even though some of her victims did file claims for a portion of those funds, whatever is left over that didn't go to paying the lawyers just goes right to Anna. And what did Anna spend that money on? Designer clothing. You've written about the fact that Netflix paid Anna. You know, it's a little bit of one of those things where she used the money to pay legal fees. However, I would argue that it's not like, it's not like, I mean, they're le- they're her legal fees, and so if, if somebody gives me money and I'm like, oh, I use that money to pay my bills, I feel like it's a bit of a stretch to say that I'm not benefiting from that. But whatever. Uh, do you feel that Netflix is contributing to an ecosystem where lying and scamming can be financially rewarding and fi- financially lucrative?
4: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, this is like very cut and dry evidence of that because they moved so quickly to to um, option the the story that it they ended up paying anna before her case even went to trial before she even went to trial and that that's the money that was used initially to pay her criminal the criminal defense lawyer whom she chose to pay his his like a initial fees and then beyond that they they started their writers' room the day that the trial began. There were Netflix writers in the courtroom. Her lawyer was representing her in her entertainment dealings at the same time he was representing her in a criminal trial. It, and I knew that at the time, which is part of why I think I went into it feeling—I mean, of course, I was also so raw and it was all so fresh and I was so emotional. Way more. You know, I wish I had—I had had like a little more distance from everything or a little more composure, but I just felt. Frankly, so gaslighted by the fact that I was being accused of using my testimony as content for entertainment, quote unquote, because I was writing a book, um, while at the same time I knew that everybody there was doing that, and I actually wasn't. Like you know, I was left sixty thousand dollars in debt. Like I was just finding a way to like heal, to understand, to move forward. Um, So. Yeah, it was really topsy-turvy and I do think Netflix certainly not only influenced the criminal justice proceedings, but also gave this person who, you know, we can all think what we want to think, but looking on paper at her past actions, she is a convicted criminal and they have created for her a glamorized version of, of her crimes given her a platform, given her an audience and set her up with a viewership that she can now continue to monopolize. Like she will continue to make money on the notoriety that she achieved through committing criminal
0: acts. Let's take a quick break. Hey, ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails Y'all know I love the internet, but a sad truth about it is that it can be a scary place, especially for women, people of color, and trans folks. We've talked to people on this podcast, whistleblowers, activists, and advocates who are making technology safer, who then become targets for doing that work. But the truth is, it can happen to any of us online. That's why I personally use and recommend Delete Me, Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online, and makes sure it stays off. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindelete.me.com/no-girls and use promo code No Girls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash no girls and enter code no girls at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash no girls code no girls. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. They can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. And we're back. Scammers are not a new phenomena. They've always existed. But in the age of streaming services and social media, it seems like we're living in a golden age for scammers, where if your scam is flashy enough and captures our attention in just the right kind of way, what might have started as a scam can be laundered into a more legitimate platform. For instance, Netflix's The Tinder Swindler, a documentary that chronicles Simon Levev, who posed as a wealthy jet-set playboy, by duping women that he met on the dating app Tinder out of thousands of dollars. Levev's con involved convincing women to loan him money through outlandish lies. And since the documentary, Levev is clearly trying to parlay the attention and notoriety from his con into a pathway of a more legitimate, not to mention lucrative, platform. So as Anna once intimated to a BBC reporter, it's kind of hard to say that crime doesn't pay because it seems like in our current media landscape, it kind of does. Do you think that we live in a climate where people who scam and lie, people like, like she was, as you said, she was convicted of this. So It's not like it's some big secret. It's not like it's you saying this. These are just yeah. the facts of what happened. I feel like we are allowing pathways to legitimize these people. And like, you know, maybe it started as a con and it started as a scam, but by the end of it, you'll have money and an audience and people who are interested to see what happens next and that you can sort of legitimize that. Like for instance, if you watch mm-hmm. the Netflix documentary, the Tinder swindler, um, mm-hmm. the scammer in that case, uh, Simone, si- Simon, I Simon, know, it, Levav, I think something me. like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, he got this big bump in social media followers and also is making pretty good money on Cameo right now. He's charging $300 for a personal shout out and yeah. $1,400 for a business shout out. He has a manager. He's talked about wanting to do a podcast. You know, yeah. are, are we creating, Are is the media creating pathways for folks to legitimize what started out as a scam or a con or a lie?
4: Absolutely. And I think, you know, looking back, it's actually a really interesting book about this called The Attention Merchants by this this man called Tim Wu, with the rise of reality television and this model of normal person to, to celebrity uh, as like a model for business. It, it And then it evolved into social media where people not, you know, they could it wasn't like winning the lottery. Everybody too could do this if they found a way to brand themselves, to market themselves that was compelling enough to attract attention. But as we've just realized, unless you have some kind of outlandish, loud shtick or personality, like no one is really paying attention. And I think this is like now evolved into curation, not just through digital media, but here are these people. And these people have always existed, mind you, but we live in an age where that kind of behavior is, really rewarded. You know, it's not an age where it's about, you know, morality or like like which which sounds so like Pollyanna-ish and hokey, but it's very much about the sort of the cult of personality and who attracts our attention and like obviously who we and you know voted our president is a testament testament to that. What
0: you just articulated is one of my biggest issues in making the show is the way that we have our entire digital ecosystem and media ecosystem is biased toward Mm -hmm. outrageousness and lies and scams. It's been a documented thing that on social media, um, incorrect information travels much faster and much farther than accurate information.
4: There's that saying like uh, a lie can travel around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoes or some some variation of that, but it's it's very true.
0: Absolutely true. And so You know, we talk a lot on this podcast about the ways that our landscapes have become this like marketplace for extremism and who's really losing is us, the general public.
4: You know there's a problem when the weather channel is sensationalized. Like for the weather channel to be like, "Whoa!" like, you know, and giving these like hokey names to things and like making everything seem like a doomsday event and it's like it's like sprinkling outside. Like there's no <laughs> news here. But they rely on viewership the same way as any other channel does. So like for our entire economy to run based on like clicks or attention, like that is scary. There there are certain things that I think probably would, we we all might be a little better off if, if there were other uh,
0: motivators. We all deserve timely, thoughtful, accurate information. And so even, yeah. you know, your example of the weather channel, if I need to know whether or not to bring an umbrella and I turn on the weather and it's like, you know, monsoons and hurricanes and oh my God. And it's like, well, I'm, being underserved because I don't know if I need to bring an umbrella when I'm going down the street, you know? And so we all, we yeah. all lose out. We all lose when we don't, when we have an a, any kind of media ecosystem that is biased towards sensationalism or lies or scams or clicks and outrageousness rather than thoughtful, accurate, nuanced content. And it pushes us to
4: the extremes of either total belief or complete disbelief because either you buy into whatever you know, Cool age you're looking for, like whether that's Fox News or, you know, some like extreme version of like CNN, like, you know, they all have their, their biased reporting techniques, right? But like, I think you either sort of hop on a bandwagon or you say, none of it's objective. I don't believe anything. And then that's not great either, because there are still things that should be believed. So I, I, I do agree that it is a disservice to everybody because it creates a system in which it's really hard to tell truth from fiction
0: in my day job i do a lot of work combating conspiracy theories and things like that and trying to trying to understand why people fall prey to them and a big part of it is just complete lack of dist- complete lack of trust in yeah. media institutions mm-hmm. and i think that's a big reason why it's like i can understand why somebody would just lose tr- all trust in media when yeah. that is the thing that fuels it
4: uh, yeah absolutely and there is a lot of similarity obviously i mean the stakes are just sort of it's apples and oranges with when it comes to like someone like anna and like masculine conspiracy theories but there is similarity in the way that both um, I guess like lie structures or, or, or manipulation techniques rely on framing arguments in a way that makes them almost irrefutable because mm-hmm. they 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 speak to these sort of like cryptic abstracts or things that you literally just can't disprove even though they are false it's like a, a flaw a flawed framing device. Uh, And I think it's really hard for people, especially if you're isolated, um, to keep your feet on the ground and understand what's happening if you're not familiar with that type of behavioral pattern.
0: After the disastrous trip to Marrakesh, Rachel was left with a $62,000 credit card bill that her credit card company eventually forgave. But before that, Rachel struggled to pay rent and took loans from loved ones to cover bills to get by. She eventually published her book about what she learned from her relationship with Anna, called My Friend Anna, and sold the rights to develop her story for television to Lena Dunham at HBO. Rachel takes a lot of criticism for, quote, profiting off of her relationship to Anna. So I wanted to go back to something that you mentioned, which is that you sometimes take criticism for the fact that you, you know, published a book about your experiences, you've written about your experiences. Um, I interviewed Amanda Knox, the exoneree, you probably know who she is, uh, (laughs) and something that she said in that interview that I will never forget is that, you know, she's often criticized for making money, you know, writing books about what happened to her. And, you know, however, producers, filmmakers, writers, they make a lot of money retelling Sometimes, like, a really harmful, deeply fictionalized account of something that, like, sort of happened around her. But, like, it's always, like, deeply, deeply fictionalized. And something that she said was that it's apparently everyone else is allowed to profit off of something that happened to me, Mm -hmm. except for me. Everybody Mm -hmm. else can make money off of my story but me. And I guess, you know, why do you think this is? You know, I, I guess I should say a side note, which is that if I lost a lot of money anybody who wanted to pay me to tell the story of what happened to me to recoup my expenses I would absolutely say yes and I think that most people would but I feel that we have this expectation where victims are kind of expected to be kind of holier than now Mm -hmm. meanwhile the people who harmed them Mm -hmm. it's like they can do whatever they can make money however and so I think like why do you think that is where do you think that comes from
4: um I'm, I mean, first of all, I, I do completely agree with you. It often feels like the victims are on trial more so than the criminals. Uh, and, and also, like, there's this odd thing that I've realized the word victim is, has so much uh, co- like packed into the connotations around the word, the word. It's like people think as soon as you're no longer in debt or as soon as you've been made whole, no matter how hard you, hard you had to work to actually become OK, you're not a victim anymore. Like. You're now you know, and someone who's exploiting a situation if you you know, keep moving forward or if you're seen to succeed. And it's like, what is a victim? Like, does a victim, what does a victim look like? I've had so many people reach out to me on social media to say, you don't look like a victim. And I think that is such a loaded, odd thing to say to somebody. I, like saying that you were the victim of a crime is not a request for pity. It's a request for acknowledgement of a wrong that was committed. It, you know, it is not like a, I'm still stuck in this like stalled state in perpetuity. It's like this happened and that's a fact it doesn't matter what you do afterwards to be OK, you know, to, to repair the damage, to find a way out of it like that is really not relevant. Um, but I, I think there there are a lot of things that are distracting, especially when these stories get retold through the lens of media or entertainment. People tend to fixate on the whistles and bells and the flashy trips and the money. Um, and they hold that, I think the jury did the same thing. They sort of hold that lens up and say, well, you know, looking at the net gain, you were doing this before Anna, now you're doing this. You came out okay. Therefore, nope, the crime didn't happen. It's like, wait, so you're saying I was too good at, you know, finding, like, fighting tooth and nail to find a way forward? Like, therefore, it didn't happen? Like, what? Why do I think it happens? I think it's really easy for people to hold on to really simplified recaps of something that was actually very complex and nuanced. And, of course, looking back, red flags look like this, like, very tidy pattern but when you're living through something where you're dealing with a master manipulator, uh, you know, there's time between these these things that might have tipped you off to trouble ahead. There's there's a there's an actual relationship between real life people and everything is much grayer than it
0: appears in hindsight. Mm. Yeah, it's so funny because I feel like a lot of people, I've seen and, and I I saw like I guess this idea of you know, well, while that was happening, she definitely wanted to go to Morocco, or she definitely wanted this, and it's like, who gives a shit? Like, it, it just—it just seems so like picking yeah. apart. It—it it, it feels very victim blaming.
4: It's very convenient, and and I think people want to look for a reason to explain why something bad has happened to somebody. You know, especially if if it is not like, you know death <laughs> like, death you know when it seems like someone's come out okay then it's like okay we all have like carte blanche to just sit here and and talk about why you deserved it and you know at the end of the day like I, it's a, everybody wants to be understood it, like it stinks to be misunderstood and it stinks to have things framed in a way that's not true especially when they're so personal and so many people are forming opinions about you from so little information and flawed information um but at the end of the day, like, everybody looks at a story like this, which, you know, is not a news story. It's like a tale as old as time. It's just a in a modern uh, iteration of it. But you people look at it and they project um, their under like, they, they come away with an understanding of it based on their own life experiences. And if it's important for people to think, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. Or, you know, don't get sucked into materialism. Or, like, you know, everybody looks at it and thinks these things, but I think that's actually more telling of their own life experiences than it is necessarily of mine. Like, have I asked myself those questions? Of course I have. Like, if I hadn't, I, I think, you know, it's really important to, to look at, that's why I wrote a, uh, wrote, I guess, to start, and it, I wrote what turned into the book, but it was so that I could frame, you know, piece together this, like, narrative of experience that I lived through, look at it, try to, like, dig into it understand what happened what to make of it like why it happened and and how to learn heal and move forward
0: something that you said you said people want an explanation for why this happened to you I think what they're actually looking for is an explanation for why this would never happen to them (laughs) I think it's it's about them right and I mean absolutely as they don't even know me and and like
4: they're even if Even if someone did meet me through this experience, this is something that happened. It was a friendship. I knew her for a year. We were close friends for about three months, three brief months. Like, she never bought me clothes. She never bought me shoes. She never bought, like, did I work out with her? Yes. Did she pay for some dinners? Yes. Did she invite me on this crazy vacation? 100%. But to say that anybody understands someone else's entire values, like value system and personality and character through, Like a few months of what is a, you know, 30 some odd year life with so many more important, like, and like, I don't know, telling things, but any, it's
0: just, life is weird, huh? (laughs) Life is weird. I, I gotta say, I love, this is kind of a side note. I love your perspective on this. I feel like if this happened to me, I guess, I guess... You know, you were saying earlier how people don't really see the work involved in getting you to a place where you're like, oh, this is behind me. I'm speaking about it now, not because I want to relitigate what happened, like the minutiae of our relationship, but because I want to ask these like thoughtful questions about what it says about our culture and all of that. You really turned me as someone who was like, You know, I know we don't see that work, but where you are today, it just seems like you're. You, I really appreciate your perspective of where you're at right now. I
4: really appreciate you like acknowledging or understanding that because it's very hard. You know, like even I guess being a photo producer is much the same way. It's like if you're doing it well, nobody pays attention to to how it happened or why it's happening in this way. But like, it's. it's, I mean, it's irritating, except that like there's nothing I can do. People who are want to be wrong or it's gonna be wrong, but like when people are like, Oh, you just want the spotlight or, Oh, you just want attention. It's like, I have turned down so many more things than I have said yes to like, this is a spotlight that I did not want. You know, I have done the best I could with, with something that was very negative and I've done the best I could to make it into something positive, not just for myself, but ideally for others who may have gone through the same thing or, or to prevent others from going through the same thing. Um, but you're you like thank you you're 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 completely right. What like my very specific and clear objective as to why I'm still talking today does does uh it really is about the spotlight that I didn't want and and I thought very hard about whether or not to just sort of like lie low, not comment when the Netflix thing came out, like just like not say anything at all. Uh, but I I recognize the value of attention and I recognize the fact that whether or not I choose to engage with it, there would be this attention coming my way. And it felt like there are so many really important causes in the world that need attention. There are so many important uh, issues, even relating to this specifically, that can't get people to pay attention to them. So I, I really wanted to like yield the time towards asking questions. And then ideally, I mean, like finding people like you or, or you know, finding a way to sort of redirect the spotlight towards towards activation partners who can speak to these issues in a thoughtful way and and make people think a little harder or, or differently about something that on the surface just seems so sort of
0: frivolous. Our attention has value. And it's also, we only have so much of it. And so mm-hmm. when lies and outrageousness get are, are amplified to get our attention, what's not getting our attention? What important exactly. issues are, are, are just going overlooked because of exactly.
4: that? Exactly. And that's, I think, that's that's so right. It's like, you know, do I watch bad TV? Of course I do. Do I eat junk food? Of course I do. Like, it's not to say don't do it. It's just to be mindful that if that's all you do, like that really will inform the health of your life. Like Like, you know, when you are paying attention to these things that are designed to suck up your attention, that are designed to make you want more of them, they're addicting. You are not paying attention to something else. You are not, you know, necessarily having the autonomy you may think you have over the direction of, of your uh, you know, purpose.
0: I definitely know what you mean. <laughs> More after a quick break. Hey, ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com slash RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com slash RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. They can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS.
1: My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant.
0: I know firsthand that navigating our connected digital lives also comes with navigating all kinds of complicated issues. Like, for instance, what do you do if you were going through a depressive episode and completely stopped answering emails? What's the etiquette around logging back on and replying to them super late? Or is it okay to not accept your boss or coworker's friend request on social media? Now, on There Are No Girls on the Internet's all-new newsletter, not only can you get more internet insights but we will be weighing in answering your internet questions and conundrums. So subscribe to There Are No Girls on the Internet's newsletter at tangodi.com slash newsletter. And if you want to support the podcast, thank you so much. Check out our online store at tangodi.com slash store. Let's get right back into it. So you can probably tell that I did not really enjoy the Netflix show Inventing Anna. And one of my biggest issues with it is the way that it frames Anna's crimes with a kind of girl-boss-hustle mentality. That she came to this country as an immigrant with nothing, and that if she did maybe do a little lying and scamming here or there, it was only in pursuit of building something that she truly believed in. After all, isn't that the American dream? Over on another scammer story, Hulu's The Dropout, which chronicles the story of Elizabeth Holmes, former CEO of Theranos, a blood testing company that turned out to be a total scam, actually does a pretty good job of showing how empty, not to mention dangerous, it can be when scamming and lying is rebranded as vision or leadership. One of the questions I did have for you is that the the, the Inventing Anna show does this, but I've also seen it kind of glimmers of it in other in other scammers and just sort of in the media in general, this idea of like scamming and lying kind of being rebranded as hustling or trying to achieve the American dream or worse, girl bossing. You know, I I get, I I completely like logistically understand why that's how it's framed or why it's how it's reframed, but it's such an easy narrative. But I, you know, I think it's kind of harmful to reframe stealing from people and lying from people as hustling and girl bossing and leadership and I guess my question is like what are your thoughts about that have you seen this and what do you think about it
4: yeah I think it's lazy I I just I think it's lazy and I do think it does it it does do damage to the reality Uh, you know it's so backwards to, to to attempt to make something about like classism racism sexism and then to frame it in a way that is promoting someone who couldn't care less about those issues unless they're serving their own agenda. Like that is such a disservice to to people who are actually working to re, you know, to, to explore and, and explore these issues and create positive change in ways that are actually meaningful and substantive, especially in, in the past, I don't even know how many years, I guess, like 10 years or so, maybe less like these, these sort of catch all buzzwords like like feminism or like um, good grief. There's a performative activism that, that features words that have become trendy and, and and like missions that have become trendy. And I think shows like this have kind of glommed on to that.
0: I told you, I, I uh, watched the uh, finale of the show on Hulu, the dropout about Elizabeth Holmes, you know, the Theranos scam lady. There was a time in feminism where like a woman, like. A woman like making money—that was feminism. I do think there's a kind of it, it's sort of a it's a sort of like era of feminism I'm not proud of. Where yeah, if you were just a woman who was make like out for herself and making money, yeah. that was seen as like a feminist win, and we didn't really ask a lot of questions about are you harming people? Yeah. Are you you know con- like like we didn't really ask a lot of questions, and I think that I I kind of see this era kind of maybe coming to a close. I hope, but I think that that era really allowed for women to be lauded as feminist icons for doing things that actually hurt other people at their own expense.
4: I don't think the answer to chauvinism is a form of feminism that mirrors the same thing, like that reverses that that negative uh, way of being. Like. I do think sometimes pendulums swing too far before they kind of find their, their middle. And it seems like that's what happened. It's like, well, you did this for so long, therefore like, it's my time to do it and we should celebrate the fact that I'm doing it. Um, it, It's, I think it's, it's hard sometimes to see that when you're in it and when it's a reaction rather than like, uh, like it's, it's reactive rather than proactive. Right. So it's, it's, it's like finding a way to exist as a woman in reaction to to what men have done wrong rather than just finding a way to exist as a woman. Um, I don't have solutions, but I, I see the trend as well. And yeah. I guess one thing related to the Hulu show, but I think that show actually strikes me as, I mean, obviously what she, she did does not strike me as something that was done well. But the show, I, I thought, did a, a a good job, actually, of of dramatizing real life events because they framed her in a way that felt very true to the actual sequencing of what happens. Like I read bad blood by John Carrey, and it, it felt like it, you know, it followed a fact pattern and it framed her not as someone that everybody was, I mean, you saw how she was celebrated, but that was true to the way that it happened in real life. It was very true to the, to the mixed reactions she received
1: and I thought Amanda
4: Seyfried did an amazing job of, of not of like gleefully sort of relishing the, sh- like the shtick of the con, but just in, in framing this sort of very misguided, probably un- like psychologically unhealthy person who like just kind of, uh, lacked a certain t- like human chip that allowed her to understand <laughs> the importance of her decision-making on real lives, uh. I, it just was such a foil for me when I watched that versus what I had seen in Inventing Anna, which really just looked like something that had been made by people who really bought into what
0: Anna was selling. Oh my gosh. I So I am ha- happy to hear you say this. I felt the exact, first of all, Inventing Anna, all, all of the issues that you brought up with it, yes, but also just like was a slog to watch. Like, yeah. I wanted to watch it before I talked to you. And literally my partner was like, I feel like you've been watching this show for a decade. And I was like, you and me both. But like, just like, wasn't an entertaining show. And I guess yeah. ha- having that, having, like I felt the dropout was different because it had empathy for the people who were harmed, right? Mm-hmm. Like you saw these people who were, you know, had cancer and were, were involved in these blood these blood trials. You know, it had empathy for the whistleblowers who, risked so much of their, of their selves to come forward. I felt like it was a show that managed to demonstrate the kind of seductive, you know, cult of personality around a scammer without falling prey to it. And inventing Anna was exactly the opposite.
4: It was done. Yeah. It was done so thoughtfully. It had such depth to it because yeah, of course there were people who like hopped on the bandwagon and celebrated her. Right? Like, it was just the full range of, of people who were made to, to read like real life people. You know, I think Inventing Anna flattened everybody. And there's a way that can be done in like a show like Gossip Girl or a show that is meant to be, and in some ways I guess this is, but meant to be about uh, materialism and superficiality but to reduce something like this where real real crimes were committed, real people's lives were impacted. It wasn't just these like faceless things. There are people who lose jobs. There are people who obviously, or not obviously, if it were obvious, that wouldn't wouldn't be a problem, but there are people who weren't included in the court, you know, the court case. She definitely committed so many offenses that, that harmed real life people. So I think to flatten something like that into this like very frivolous, like fun, glossy slog of a TV show full stop. I don't know.
0: Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's, there were times where I was like, are you meant to be rooting for Anna in this show? And then I, the, the I think the richest part is at the end where the biggest crime the show seems to suggest has been committed is the character that shares your same name. Uh, <laughs> she's like, like, Neff is like, you're a bad friend. And it's like, well, Anna went to jail. Like, come like, on. <laughs> like, I know I get I mean, and people
4: really believe all that is fact. Like, you are, like she bankrolled you for two years, and like, I know better than to feed the trolls on the internet. Like, it's not my job to 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 like educate people about fa- like what, I the, like the truth is out there if anybody wants to look for it. But like, I didn't even know her that long, and she did not bankroll like. Uh, th- but yeah, so to have have it framed as though like where's the loyalty? It's like this is someone. I, you know, we were not best friends. I knew her for, and also look what she did. Look, look at the pattern of her behavior. At what point, what, why are you suggesting people who are in these like manipulative relationships, be they friendships or, or whatever, like that, that they are doing something wrong by choosing to leave something that is so harmful? Like, that's bizarre. That's like, that's a very bizarre thing to say. Also, the show rearranged it as though I had been reimbursed before the trial and then I like, kept the secret of my involvement with her arrest, like, like, or kept that a secret, like, didn't happen. I was protected two years after Marrakesh, after the trial concluded. I didn't keep my involvement in the sting some kind of, like, grand secret. I wasn't ashamed of it, but I wasn't that close with, like, Nafra Casey. I, you know, I like them. I don't, I have nothing negative to say. It's, like, fine. Everybody can look back and, and see things through their lenses, and that's, you know, it is what it is. But we weren't in touch. It's not like I owed people explanations. I was out more than I made any, they, they were not left in any kind of like debt or like there was no ongoing relationship there. So to suggest that by not reaching out to say, hello, like this is what I have done. And like, it like that's just weird. It, does, it doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, and I think people, people understand the way these relationships and acquaintanceships work in their own lives. And it's like, of course that would be like you wouldn't owe these people anything or you wouldn't owe like you know but when it's someone else and that that those mm-hmm. the, the minutia of those relationships are like projected for everyone to pick apart suddenly mm-hmm. it's like oh well why would she do this doesn't she have loyalty and it's like well calm down think about how this yeah. would actually go down if it was you like we all understand it in our own yeah. lives but when it's somebody else i think it's like different
4: Yeah, evidently. And I I understand people don't tune into shows like this to really think very analytically. It's mostly about just getting a good laugh at other people's expense. And like, I, you know, I do too. It's fine. Like it's, I'm not, I certainly can't like hate on people for being human. Like that's how this works. Um, I just, I think that the frivolity of it does conceal something that is a bigger picture problem, as I have said, uh, which is why I, I figure if I'm stuck in this this was like dumpster fire anyway. I might as well try and like send up a smoke signal about, you know, red flags that I know a little too well uh, from firsthand experience.
0: Yeah, speaking of your firsthand experience, one of the last questions I have is like, what has it just been like for you, Rachel, the person going through this, getting the social media trolls, getting people who have maybe been misled about what happened from the television show? What has it been like to deal with that on, on online,
4: yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's definitely not easy. But I'm mindful of the like I'm I'm mindful of my 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 privilege and my luck just to have like such supportive family and friends to have an awareness uh, of exactly what it is that is happening. You know, part of it I learned the hard way just through gaslighting with Anna to begin with, and. Now, through what I've learned in, in looking back at, at what happened, looking, you know, at, at like, I guess, I mean, writing the book helped me a lot just in terms of sort of looking at the pattern of behavior as a pattern rather than like this. When you're in a relationship like that, it's really hard to see anything as black and white because it's not. Life is gray. Um, but looking back, things seem so much clearer to me. So I'm, I'm grateful to have had people who believe me, who like a, like a platform to speak from, um, the opportunity to speak which all that is to say it's hard uh, but part of the reason I'm speaking up about it is because I think that the structure of the Netflix show or or this broader pattern that's happening it it does a disservice to people who don't have that ability to understand what's happening to them who who might not get to hear stories like this because people are ashamed or they're scared of the the victim blaming which is completely fair it's not it's I mean it's it's wild um and it you know, I can have my feet on the ground and, and my head on my shoulders. And if I sit there and read that for longer than maybe like ten minutes, like it even if you know that it, you know, it's it's actually not about you, it doesn't feel good to have that kind of energy coming like I mean that sounds so woo-woo, but like that kind of hostility coming at you. Like it's like death by paper cuts. Like you can be the strongest rock in the water, but like if it keeps running, like you're gonna get worn down. Um so it's hard. But I recognize that it's harder, so much harder for so many other people. And uh, yeah, the internet can be pretty nasty.
0: (laughs) We've talked a lot about how the dangers that come when we give our, when we willingly give our attention away to liars and scammers and people who are outrageous and extreme. Um, Do you ever see a situation where things like nuance, thoughtfulness, um, honest, accurate content will be amplified over that kind of extremism and and lies? Do you think that we're, this is just it forever? Or do you see, do you see a change coming?
4: Um, I mean, as evidenced by past behavior, I'm kind of a willful optimist through and through, and that is just who I am. So I always hope for that, you know? Um, I do think the damage done by... What you just said, like the, the the pattern, what I'm trying to say is the truth will out, and and it's one thing to think the pattern of um, celebrating these individuals does do harm that is and will be visible until there is a a, a, a movement in the opposite direction. So I I think we've already seen that, like from like. Right like Me Too forward where people are starting to pay attention to things in a different way and actually attempt to hold outlets and individuals to account. Um, I just think it's in very specific arenas thus far that that seems to be happening. And I think people like to to sort of pretend that things they do for entertainment don't touch on the same subjects or, or don't have the same impact or, or seriousness. And that, to me, is that—that's the slippery slope. I, I, I hope that people will recognize these things are not separate; they're inextricably linked to the way that we, as a culture, um, celebrate people and and uh, form our beliefs.
0: That's really smart. Got a story about an interesting thing in tech or just want to say hi? You can reach us at hello at tangody.com. You can also find transcripts for today's episode at tangody.com. There Are No Girls on the Internet was created by me, Bridget Todd. It's a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. Jonathan Strickland is our executive producer. Tari Harrison is our producer and sound engineer. Michael Amato is our contributing producer. I'm your host, Bridget Todd. If you want to help us grow, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health.
3: Conair Girlbomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girlbomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. We've all been there. You have a question
0: about your credit card. You call the number for help and you can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right, a real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discovery.com slash credit card.